welcome to the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of The Crown against Mitchell, Northern Ireland, and the citation for this case is 2016 UKSC 55. In this case, Ms Mitchell was tried for murdering her former partner in 2009. At the trial, she claimed she had been provoked and had acted in self-defence, but the prosecution during the case wanted to adduce evidence that Mitchell had a propensity for using knives in a violent and threatening manner, and that's going to be the key focus for us during this um, podcast. Now, the basis for this request from the prosecution was two previous incidents in 2003 and 2007, but in both incidents, Mitchell wasn't convicted, and this is going to be really important for our discussion later on. In the end, it was agreed between the prosecution and the defence that a statement regarding both of the incidents would be read out at the trial, and then the judge afterwards directed the jury to, quote, take this evidence into account or leave it out of account as you consider appropriate, end quote. Mitchell was convicted but appealed against the conviction to the Court of Appeal based on the direction that the jury were given. The Court of Appeal quashed her conviction and then ordered a retrial, and at this retrial Mitchell pleaded guilty to manslaughter. Nevertheless, the prosecution appealed the question of propensity to the Supreme Court, and this is where we're going to pick up the case. The prosecution were essentially arguing that propensity requires no special examination by the jury, whereas the defence were arguing that propensity should be proved beyond reasonable doubt. So quite a division between the two sides on where the burden of proof is and how it should be examined by the jury. The Supreme Court split the question into two. In the first instance, they asked, should incidents demonstrating propensity be looked at individually or together? You'll remember in this case that Ms Mitchell had two previous incidents involving knives in 2003 and 2007. And so the question was, should these two incidents be considered together or separately? In the end, the Supreme Court decided that the incidents should be looked at together and as a whole. The reason for this is that a range of incidents can provide what they described as mutual corroboration. The second question that the Supreme Court asked was what burden of proof should exist for proving propensity? This was where the main division occurred between the prosecution and the defence and in the end the Supreme Court decided that it was the criminal standard of beyond reasonable doubt that should be applied in such cases. In the end then the prosecution lost this appeal. Was this the right decision by the Supreme Court in the circumstances? Well, I think that we need to also look at both points that were raised by the Supreme Court. Regarding the first question, I think it does make a lot of sense to consider propensity within its context, i.e. to consider all of the previous incidents as a whole, rather than looking at them separately. If you imagine, for example, someone saying to me, Marcus has a propensity to take the train then you would probably ask them, well, what are you basing that judgment on? If they said to you, well, Marcus took the train yesterday, therefore he has a propensity to take the train, you probably wouldn't be very convinced. Taking these single incidents on their own is not exactly going to convince someone. However, if you said Marcus has a propensity to take the train because he took the train every day last week and also the week before, 
that is going to be a lot more convincing and is also more true in the way that we think about propensity. Really, propensity can be described as behaviour over a period of time. Let's move on to the second question then, and I think that this is a little bit more controversial. We do certainly need to think about whether the burden on the prosecution should be so high, i.e. should propensity have to be proved beyond reasonable doubt. Remember in this case the 2003 and the 2007 incidents didn't end up with a conviction, and so where there hasn't been a criminal conviction, this propensity, or the burden of proof for proving propensity of beyond reasonable doubt, could be difficult or almost impossible to prove for the prosecution. Admittedly, this does seem a lot fairer than the prosecution's suggestion in this case, i.e. not examining it at all, and could possibly even be considered more fair than another burden of proof, for example if we requested the balance of probabilities. However, all this really does is take us back to the question as to where the line should be drawn. Often I find it quite useful to imagine things in numerical terms, so if we think about the balance of probability, we could say that in numerical terms that's 51%. Meanwhile, beyond reasonable doubt could be considered to be a lot higher figure, something like 90 or 95% certainty. So in numerical terms, we probably do want some figure between 51% and 90 to 95%. But where exactly this figure is going to be drawn is always going to be something that people will disagree on. Some people will say it should be 66%, others might say it should be 85%. There's not really going to be any solid conclusion, and obviously for the time being we're going to have to go with the Supreme Court's decision of 90-95%. to In any case, we'd probably need to come up with some sort of linguistic formulation for these figures anyway, and in my opinion, I'd want to go for a burden of proof along the lines of proving the propensity to be highly likely. In linguistic terms, this isn't as stringent as beyond reasonable doubt, but it's also more stringent than on the balance of probabilities. I think that such a formulation would give the prosecution a chance to prove propensity without making it too easy to do so. Overall, though, I think that we have to remember to take this case in context. In a criminal trial, propensity is always going to be only of incidental importance and cannot be used to itself establish the guilt of a person for a particular crime. For the jury, the focus always has to be on the evidence in the present case rather than the actions that a person has undertaken in their past. You wouldn't convict me of a train robbery just because I have a propensity to take the train. Well, thank you as ever for listening to the UK Law Weekly podcast. Thanks as well to bensound.com who provide the music. Remember to leave a rating and a review on iTunes, that really helps me out. I'll speak to you again next week. In the meantime, you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Marcus Cleaver. And also on Twitter, I'm at Marcus Cleaver. But for now, bye. Bye.